welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. Welcome to another episode here as we review the Pitt game and we preview week four of NCAA football. How are you doing, Phil? Well, you know, I'm doing pretty well, Caleb. Uh, you know, I had God's food for dinner. I had some delicious Chick-fil-A. Delicious. And uh, yeah, I came home trying to fix the cable. We're getting a new couch this weekend, so we were rearranging the basement. And um uh, my cable box has been giving me fits. So I went out and bought a new cable, ran it through the ceiling and it's still not working. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it works. But in the meantime, I guess I'll just uh, stream through my laptop. How about you? Yeah, doing pretty well. We uh, got some road work going on in the development. So now my three minute commute to work is more like four or five. So first what of problems Man. right there. What a, what a troubling life you live. Pregnancy going well for Becca. Yeah, she's doing well. We're about five weeks out from the due date now. Crazy. She's uh, reducing her hours at work a little bit just to make it a little easier on herself, you know, not on her feet as much. Just uh, easing it in as we go in on the final month here before the baby is due. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, uh, you know, Kelby, we had a really good uh, week of college football. I think you and I both are of the opinion that even though Penn State doesn't play this next week, uh, we're in for an even better weekend of football. What happened this past week? Yeah, we had some more upsets. Even though we didn't have a top 25 matchup, we had some upsets going on. Number 18, Michigan State, upset by Arizona State for the second straight year. Michigan State had a game-tying field goal that they was called back due to too many men on the field. They had 12 men on the field, 10 up lined up to block, plus obviously the holder and the kicker. Then on the re-kick, missed it terribly. Um, Dean Blandino, though, said on the broadcast afterwards that the there should have been a penalty on Arizona State for leaping, which would have been a personal foul. I think a 15-yard penalty would have given mm-hmm. Michigan State another chance to force overtime. Yeah, I was I was a little shocked at the end of that. I only really caught the last, uh, I guess maybe the last part of the drive. What's the, I can't remember the Michigan State kicker's name. I think it's like Coakland or Coakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he hits the first one and he's celebrating, and then they they call him for the 12 men. You know, Kudos to to the refs for catching that, even if it took a review to to recognize it. They still were like, well, this might have happened, so we're gonna review it anyway. Um, Herm Edwards, obviously, pretty excited for for him, but yeah, that jumping over the center, I thought it looked weird on the TV. I'm like, I'm, I thought for sure that's a penalty. How's that not getting called? Um, but you know, in college football, the pure of the football sports between uh, college and that other big league. I like that you can't review penalties. So, you know, sometimes it's it's a bummer, but hey, the one play does not necessarily make a game. So Michigan State, um, you know, going to drop, and we'll see if they can pick it back up as the season moves on. Yeah, um, obviously you want to call every penalty that's an actual penalty, but the way he missed it by so much, it wasn't even close. The guy that who leapt over didn't block it or anything, so... I don't know. I don't know what it's called. Want to call it just or anything? But I don't know how much he really affected the play, even though he did something illegal. Yeah, that's, that's fair. 
All right, uh, number 21, Maryland upset by Temple. Maryland's high-flying offense got shut down by Temple's defense here. They only scored two touchdowns after 142 points total in their first two weeks. It's really the, the rushing attack that got stymied here. Three and a half yards of carry versus 7.9 last week, so less than half of their total. Uh, Maryland's point total boosted a little bit by having two safeties against Temple, but Temple was able to hold down Maryland's strong offense. Yeah, Josh Jackson starts off slow. Uh, I'm pretty sure Pigram comes in at some point too and starts throwing the ball a little bit. So you know, that hopefully it's it's nothing serious. It's up with Jackson. Um, a little disappointing to see, but uh, you know we start Big Ten ball against Maryland, so seeing them lose to Temple, I'm like, okay. At least we're better than Temple, I hope. Um, but even so, Maryland's had an impressive first two weeks. Um, beating Howard, obviously a game they're expected to win, and they win it big time. And then they go against Syracuse and thump them too. Losing to Temple, and not even in a shootout, but just like with such a low point total compared to their first two weeks, that's that's got to be disappointing for them. And, and you know, part of it probably is they couldn't establish the run. They couldn't create that dominance up front. Um, that maybe they had in the first two weeks. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited to go to the game next week. And, uh, yeah, you know, as a as a uh, resident of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, before I moved to Virginia, you know, go Temple, go Owls. Yeah. Um, I think I read somewhere this is the sixth straight time that Maryland, as soon as they got ranked, they lost the next week and then fell to unranked. So this is kind of a pattern for Maryland going back many, many years. And for Maryland, they have the bye week two coming up against Penn State. So maybe they were looking ahead to their bye week a week off or maybe even looking ahead to the Penn State game in two weeks. And maybe that just kind of got in their heads. Yeah, and with Maryland as well, it's it's tough because whenever they came into the Big Ten, they were coming in and they were, you know, I thought Maryland was playing good ball. And then they, they get, I think it was either the year before or the year they officially joined the Big Ten, they start to just fall to the bottom of rankings. And so that's been disappointing. I thought we were about to see a rise of a Maryland team. but um, And, you know, like it's one loss, so it still could be a rise, but uh, this is definitely a setback on the way. Um, a game that we had looked at last week, Caleb, and that we, we put in our picks, and we picked the two different teams. Uh, you, of course, picked the victor because – you know, you are so much wiser than me, is BYU beating uh, number 24 USC in overtime. Slavis, two touchdowns, three interceptions, and uh, was it one interception in overtime? Yep. Yeah, they only played one overtime period, so interception okay. there to lose them the game after BYU had already kicked the field goal to take the lead. Gotcha, gotcha. And so then this would be this would be the second BYU uh, victory, second straight in overtime. Thoughts on Slovis? You know he had a he had a lights out first game, but this game still throws two touchdowns, but three interceptions. That's a little alarming. Granted, he's like what nineteen? Yeah, he's a freshman. Um, you know, <clears throat> now that the BYU's got some maybe a little bit of tape on him after Stanford didn't the week before, maybe they caught up on a couple little cues there. Maybe it's just a freshman trying to throw the ball a little too much, have maybe have a little too con- much confidence after probably beating up his high school opponents rather easily than coming into a big school playing a tough team in BYU. BYU's played a tough schedule so far to start the year. They're two and one now. They upset. I don't know if there was an upset. They beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago. They got another tough matchup this week coming up against Washington. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, BYU is playing a tough schedule so far this year, and they were able to pick up a overtime victory against a ranked opponent. Yeah. 
So it's good for them. And those are like the, the larger things. But as we get down into our conference, uh, it started with the battle for Ames. What were what were some of your thoughts on that game, Caleb? Yeah, predictably, I think a tight game between Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa trailed early before making a nice comeback. They were down 14-6 before pulling off the victory. Obviously, the big blunder, Iowa punting the ball away with just a minute or two to go. So mm-hmm. Iowa State could have a chance to kick a game-winning field goal or score a game-winning touchdown. But one of the blockers ran right into the punt returner, hit off his backside, and Iowa pounced on the ball and uh, knelt a couple of times for the easy victory. Yeah, definitely a, a bummer to see the game in that way. Uh, I had picked Iowa State to win that game, so also a bummer because I went down on my picks. But, uh, you know, it still proved to be a good game for the state. Um, it's a fun game to – to see and hear about Campbell's a, is a great coach he coaches his team well and that's obvious by the fact that Iowa State's unranked and they still played number 19 Iowa competitively so we'll see uh what they look like next the next game Caleb in the Big Ten was Ohio State and man they thumped Indiana now this is a game that a lot of people have said in the past you know Ohio State against Indiana they don't lose to Indiana but they certainly get spooked by them throughout the quarters uh, not the case in this game in this case, it was it was a very easy win. Fields looked good. Dobbins looked good. He had a great long run. Um, I mean, they're they're looking like they're the the cream of the crop of the Big Ten right now, and uh, I'm not really sure who can stop them in the conference as we head into Big Ten play. Yeah, right now for sure, definitely looks like Ohio State. Then the next tier, whether that's Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, whoever you want to include in that next tier of teams, whatever order you kind of want to put them in, there's definitely a gap between the next set of teams in Ohio State right now. Justin Fields transferring in seems to have sparked the offense, kind of just like Dwayne Haskins did a year ago. Uh, the switch from from head coach doesn't really seem to have changed anything. Ohio State still cruising even as they start conference play here. Um, obviously, it'll be a big, tough matchup for anyone to go go and beat them. Michigan, Penn State, anyone on their schedule would be a tough, tough, tough game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nebraska, they had a they had a tough loss to Colorado, um, losing it, you know, losing it, and and really not expecting to. They come back. They play Northern Illinois. Uh, they seem to, to do it there. And that brings their record, I think, up to 2-1 and one now on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if I'm, like, super impressed by the Cornhuskers right now or if I need to see more from them, especially with Martinez. But uh, I'm definitely willing to, to continue to see how they grow this year. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think the two best teams in the West right now are Iowa and Wisconsin. Nebraska, they haven't lost a conference game yet, but I still think they're a, a level or two below those two teams. Maybe in the next year or two, they'll be able to catch up to those two teams. But right now, I think they're clearly the third team, at least third team at the best in the in their division, the conference. Next yeah, game we I'm... had, we had um, Purdue losing at home, getting crushed by TCU. Yeah, and, and that game, you know, Caleb, whenever I think about it, I, it feels like Purdue does this every season where they, they play a game or throughout the season, you know, they, they get thumped by people. And then they play somebody of high quality. Like, you know, like they play Ohio State that we saw last season. And they come out and they just thump them. They take care of business. They, they blow them up. They light up the skies. And so, you know, I, I see this loss. I'm like, okay, so it's just business as usual uh, for Purdue. Who are they going to who are they gonna crush this year? Um but it's also never good to be the one experiencing getting crushed like they did 
uh, by TCU. TCU just really hasn't had the dominance it's had since, you know, I would argue since Andy Dalton was their quarterback. Um, yeah. But, you know, they, they still win games. They're still – they're another team well-coached. And uh, so good for them for, for taking care of the Boilermakers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's – Purdue's always right around 500. It seems like the end of the year win a game or two, maybe they shouldn't. Lose, or lose a game or two, maybe they should win. Mm-hmm. So maybe still a part for the course here for Purdue. Next one we had Minnesota needing a late touchdown to avoid an upset against Georgia Southern. Minnesota, while they haven't been ranked this year, had been receiving a few votes here and there in both the AP poll and the coaches poll. I think this kind of pulled them out of that, barely pulling out a victory over Georgia Southern. Yeah, and, and Georgia Southern, you know, is another one of those teams that uh, if you're doing dynasty mode in the old NCAA football games, you would pick that school because you know they're mm-hmm. at the bottom of the rankings yep. and you want to be able to see if you can take them to a championship. It's almost like, you know, I, I don't want to like downplay the guys because they're, they're D1 football players, but it's almost like uh, are these guys really a team. Yeah. Uh, and, and so even with Minnesota not being the cream of the crop, you're right. They've been getting some votes. They got a lot of hype in the offseason uh, between the end of bowl season and, and the start of now. And so to, to see that they – to see Minnesota just barely escape the Georgia Southern loss, I think is more of a testament to Minnesota being overhyped than it is to Georgia Southern being excellent. But, you know, good for Georgia Southern for playing them competitively. Um, kudos to them. Yeah, and we always, three years ago, the game against Ohio State, obviously we always talk about that as the spark for this kind of renaissance of Penn State football. But before that, they had that overtime win. I think it was against Minnesota, maybe in Minnesota mm-hmm. even. And where I think Saquon Barkley scored the game-winning touchdown, and that was that. That was kind of even maybe even more of the infancy of the spark that got them back into relevancy here. So Minnesota's always maybe got a little bit of a good good vibes from Penn State. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we we also saw Illinois. They got upset last-second field goal to Eastern Michigan. Uh, you love and Lovey Smith. Yeah, he uh, definitely hasn't taken Illinois where they kind of thought they were going once they hired him away after he got fired at the Bear from Bears. Um, I don't know if he's just not a great recruiter anymore, just an NFL head coach. I remember him when he was on the St. Louis Rams, coaching up their defense, leading them, helping them lead them to a Super Bowl championship when I was a kid. So I always have a good respect for Lovey Smith, but I don't know if the college landscape is for him. Yeah, it seems like... It- it's funny how some coaches are, are built for one system or the other. Um, on the other side, you know, we had Nick Saban who went to the Dolphins and struggled there, but he's been without a doubt the best coach in college football, you know, you could say ever, or you could even say within the last like 30, 40 plus years, um, just dominant there. Illinois is a, is another one of those schools, you know, I don't know if you remember Juice Williams was the quarterback there a while ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they were talking up Illinois, and they're like, these guys are going to be great. And they, they never met that expectation, minus the seasons that they had Rashard Mendenhall um, as the running back. But even then, you know, it was just like it was a hit and then gone. So, you know, not not too surprised, uh, disappointing to see them lose to uh, an opponent that I would consider to be pretty easy to beat. But, you know, that's why you play four quarters. You find out who the better team is. Yeah, overall it was – Pretty bad weekend for the Big Ten. We said Illinois and Purdue. We mentioned earlier Maryland and Michigan State upset. So not a great weekend for the Big Ten against some inferior opponents. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Moving on outside of our conference, Florida escaping with a win over Kentucky. 
However, the bad news is Felipe Franks is done for the year. Although the backup came in, Trask, he played pretty well. We'll see if he kind of follows USC's quarterback, though, and is with a little bit of tape behind it, and now everyone knows that he's the starter if he'll be as good the next week. Um, Kentucky's Chance Poor, what a poor choice of a <laughs> name there for being a kicker, almost like a Blewett who used to play yes. for the Bears. Um, missed the go-ahead field goal about 35 yards or so, and then Florida scores a long touchdown late to make it an eight-point game. Yeah, don't you just – I love whenever top ten teams are in some of these rivalry games, you know, unless they're Penn State. Uh, and and it's just – it's one of those classic rivalry games like the Florida-Kentucky games, and you think, wow, this could be like a big moment for Kentucky, and then done. They, you know, they, they lose it. Um, maybe if Josh Allen was playing for Kentucky this year and, you know, the, the tables would have turned and they could have pulled it off. But, you know, not bad for Kentucky. They were already unranked going into this game. Um, and so playing a top 10 team like that definitely shows, hey, we can be competitive and we can go forward and, you know, we can win a lot of ball games this year. And I, I hope that uh, – sad to see Felipe Franks go, even though I'm not his biggest fan. He's a competitor and it's, it's sad to see those players go down with an injury, especially whenever – uh, college football, your career is is so so limited. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if they grant him an extra year of eligibility for this injury. I'm going to kind of doubt it since it was game three or four for them, right? Because they had week zero. But you know, all the best for him, and and I'm sure he has a bright future ahead uh, with continued growth and and continued coaching. Yeah, I think they had a bye week in there, so I think they've only played three games. Okay. Remember, they just added the rule where you can play four games and still be a redshirt, so maybe they, they will be able to redshirt him if if he's done for the year with an injury like this. So maybe he will get one more year if he wants it to come That'd back to Florida. Um, elsewhere, number one, Clemson cruising over Syracuse. Trevor Lawrence, 395 yards, four total touchdowns, but two more picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the picks are still piling up for him right now. 395 yards, though. I think that was a career high in a game for him. Obviously, a young career. He's only been a starter for less than a year at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the, his receivers, Higgins and Rodgers, each going over 100 yards. Rodgers having the two touchdowns. So uh, pretty easy win there for Clemson over uh, maybe not so great Syracuse team after being ranked a few weeks ago. Yeah, and you know Trevor Lawrence, still a great quarterback, but I am getting concerned with these interceptions. Um, and I don't know if it's just he's taking a lot of high-risk throws and they just aren't paying off for him right now and they'll pay off later. But down the stretch, whenever you're playing the these high-power teams, although I would say there's not too many of them in the ACC this season, um, but even you know once you get to your bowl games or I'm assuming Clemson makes the playoffs again this year, they're one of my picks, um, can't be taking those kind of throws all the time. So you know Trevor Lawrence, he's still young. He'll still learn, and he will continue to be a dominant quarterback. But the turnover thing, um, yeah, it's something that that I'll probably be following more this season than I thought I was going to have to. Uh, and yeah, Higgins and Rogers playing well. Etn, uh, you know, they talked about him a little bit here and there, but um, you know, this was definitely it. Definitely seemed like it was a a Lawrence led victory in this case over the Orange of Syracuse. Yeah, I think uh, Etienne had to leave the game for a driver, so I don't know if they were checking for a concussion or some other kind of injury, but he... Right. Yeah, but I think he only missed a, a drive, maybe even less than that, so still, yeah, more of a throwing game for them more than a running game. But outside yeah. of Clemson, the ACC is not having a great year. They only have three undefeated teams left, Wake Forest and Virginia being the other two. Um, 
Virginia Tech struggled against Furman again. They lost. They got upset last year, one of the bigger upsets of the year on a crazy touchdown by Furman at the end of the game. So you think they'd come in more prepared this year for that game? Clearly not. Georgia Tech upset by the Citadel in overtime. Pretty sure the Citadel is an FCS school. Citadel, I think, actually played well against Alabama last year for a half. Mm -hmm. So maybe not too surprising that they can hang with some of these bigger and better teams, but still a bad loss for them. Boston College losing to Kansas. Kansas has less miles now, but it's his first year, so he hasn't really been able to put his stamp on the team. This is maybe a big win for them and get a few more recruits for them, so maybe less can start building up the Kansas program. And even though Virginia is ranked and they're still undefeated right now, they had a escape versus Florida State. Florida State, every game they play so far, it seems to be close you know, kind of comes down to one play going here or there, and this time they're on the losing end. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Florida State was expecting Taggart to really not deliver them. Um, he's been he's been struggling to coach them. Glad for Virginia to to be able to have some success there. Uh, they've been a consistently good program, and now they're starting to put those pieces together. I had forgotten Virginia Tech lost to Furman. I remember them losing to to Old Dominion, but yeah, I mean. They just seem to they seem to struggle against the teams that they should very easily whoop up on, and um, obviously a big kudos to Les Miles. You know these these kids that he's coaching, they don't really have much experience with winning, so uh, getting them that W, it's uh, it's good for them. Yeah, but yeah, even though Virginia and Wake Forest are still undefeated, you don't really think of any of them as being a threat towards Clemson. I don't know mm-hmm. if they would if if they meet in the you know, conference championship game or something like that. I don't know. Clemson, I think, would be a huge favorite in those games and cruise pretty easily. But the, it does make me wonder a little bit, if, if Clemson does get upset in a game here and finishes, you know, 12-1 and instead of 13-0, and including the conference championship game, is would it be considered a bad enough loss that they would maybe potentially knock them out of the college football playoffs? And maybe they have to go 13-0 and this year to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, that could be the case. I, I think we can argue whoever uh, whoever – wins the SEC, you know, they'll go. Yes. And I wouldn't be shocked if they took the second place team too, just because it, it looks like yeah, SEC had a bad week. Uh, was it two weeks ago? But again, they'll, they'll bounce back and, and they'll continue to uh, dominate college football like they have been. So I could see one of those teams. And then obviously uh, as, as a personal bias, I'm assuming or guessing that with that Oregon loss, uh, Maybe the Pac-10 or Pac-12 is out, and maybe Big Ten will get some kudos thrown in there with Ohio State. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, good run around the league. You ready to talk about Penn State, Caleb? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so Penn State playing the what might be the last, the, the 100th meeting against Pitt. It is at Beaver Stadium. It's a great time uh, that as the hype is being built up around it. And right before the game is about to start, 40-minute weather delay due to lightning uh, before the kickoff. Glad it wasn't a super long delay, uh, but even so, 40 minutes is still a long time. It gave me terrible flashbacks to whenever we played Michigan State and there was that long weather delay and we came back and lost to them in in a game that really destroyed our hopes of making it to either the conference championship or the college football playoffs. We go into the half and it's 10-10 tied. Uh, I know I'm really concerned about it thinking – you know, here we go again. I saw this last week against Buffalo. We're, we're not throwing the ball well. We're not really running the ball that great either, minus, you know, a couple hits here and there. Uh, something's got to give. Only one score in the second half. It's a touchdown by Penn State, and that touchdown takes them 
to win 17 to 10. But again, it's another slow start. Penn State was expected to blow out Pitt. Uh, now, part of it could have been that weather delay, but you know, I'm, I'm tired of these slow starts, Caleb. And, and Penn State, for the first time this season, doesn't cover the spread. Um, a lot of different offensive stats there as well between Clifford and the running backs and, and the wide receivers that I guess we'll dive into next. Yeah, Clifford finished the day under 50%, 14 for 30, 222 yards, no touchdowns, but no interceptions either. So at least he kept the ball out of Pitt's hands. Journey Brown uh, led the rushing attack, 10 carries for 109 yards, most of them coming on that large chunk 85-yard run to get us from out of our end zone and into the red zone on the other side. Noah Kane, Devin Ford, each with a touchdown, each with you know just a handful of carries there. And then Hamler held to just three catches. I think that was about the same he had last week. So still not too much to write home about. He's not getting targeted, I don't think, nearly as much as he should be. Most of those 68 yards came in on that electric 53-yard catch, made a couple of defenders miss. Again, that helped us get out of the out of the goal our own goal goal line there. Yeah, no one else besides Hamler having two catches. So maybe uh, Clifford needs to work on targeting Hamler. Fryermuth a little more, maybe figure out who the number two wide receiver is going to be. Even though Slade was bottled up again in the running game, he had a nice 40-yard catch. So all in all, it was more of a big play game kind of for that. Uh, those three plays we I just mentioned accounted for 45% of the total offense. So not much going on outside of those three plays, but when you're in a low-scoring game like that, those can uh, be the difference in, the, in a victory or not. Yeah, I feel like I'm being really picky whenever I, I harp on a quarterback for not hit, hitting 50%. But that is kind of like a litmus test for me. I want you to hit 50 60% of your passes, um, ideally 60 But I think he was one shy of hitting 50 But, you know, a lot a lot of the reasons were what I thought were some were not some great throws. And this was really the first time I saw that from him, really even including last season as well. No touchdowns, no picks, like you said. Uh, there was one time whenever he was whenever he was running the football, and as he was running, I think it was a pit safety charged at him. And as he was going out of bounds, it looked like that safety was leading with his helmet and hit Clifford in the helmet. I, I, I feel like that's targeting, and, and maybe it's not me. And, and I don't – you know, I will spend plenty of time venting about the refs in other games that we lose. Uh, <laughs> but in this game that we won, I even felt like there was some uh, – I felt like that call was questionable. And, and my friend, uh, shout out to Peter Saliga. Caleb, he's also going to be a dad soon. Um, he he asked me if we would talk about that officiating. And, you know, not the best officiating. ACC on the field, big time in the booth. Um, Noah Kane clearly looks like their, their goal line back that – I mean that's where we that's where we've seen him in. It felt weird that they took him out whenever he was getting the hot hand. You know, six carries, forty yards, and a touchdown. Um, I'm thinking, okay, let's give him the ball again and see what happens. But yeah, they they love this committee. Um, I'm ready for somebody to start. I'm also ready, and, and I'm kind of sick and tired of it now. Of this Ricky Rani, let's run every single play out of the shotgun. I think it slows down our running backs. They have no opportunity to build momentum. Uh, it gives the defense an opportunity to get a couple steps behind the line. I want to see something different. I want to see that we are, you know, if we're at the goal line, we're able to go into an I formation or set up a jumbo package and run a guy through the center and not to worry about someone coming, coming across the edge. Or if somebody breaks to the line, have a fullback there to block. I don't know how you feel about it. It's like a personal like rage of mine. whenever I watch these games though. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
any good coach adapts to his players. So mm-hmm. he doesn't try to fit the players into his system. He fits his system around the players. So I don't know if he's being stubborn. I don't know if he thinks this is what's best for Sean Clifford and the running back by committee here. I don't know which way it goes there, but he clearly thinks this is the best system for them right now. Maybe that'll change if the results don't get any better. You can't. You're not going to win too many games only scoring 17 points against high-scoring teams like Ohio State, Wisconsin's putting up a lot of points this year. You're not going to win many games like that. So I know our defense has played great so far this year, but they're going to have some tougher opponents to match up against in the coming weeks. So we need to be able to score more than 17 points, more than seven points in the second half. We just need to do better. Yeah, we do. And and I think you said it earlier, part of it is you got to hit Fryermuth and you have to hit Hamlet. They were, they were two of the biggest playmakers last year. You know, Dotson's fine. Uh, obviously, you know, he had those two great touchdowns and he was targeted on some deep passes and he was just covered really well. So he wasn't able to come down with them. But um, I think part of it too is Clifford needs to take a second, pause it. And he doesn't always have to go for that big throw. Sometimes it's okay to hit your check down guy and uh, and see what happens there. And I'm sure he does that too, and, and we've seen him do that as well. Uh, and we'll probably just be nitpicky with him, but whenever I see that completion percentage, that's just, that's just is what goes in my mind. It's like, okay, where was the open man there? Um, Sam, I, I would like to see Hamler. I'd like to see Fryermuth get more involved. Um, I know they both are – I know they both – Grab the ball uh, a fair amount this time this season. You know, if you look at their receiving stats, KJ Hamler has 10 receptions, 245 yards, and two touchdowns. Farmuth, 10 uh, receptions, 140 yards, and two touchdowns as well. I would, I would just like to see them uh, get even more involved and get more passes thrown their way compared to, you know, hitting somebody like always trying to throw down to Jahan Dotson or just throwing like out on the flat. Sometimes. You know, you don't have to go deep, but sometimes a good slant route is okay too. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that's offense. We look at the defense. Pitt, did, Pitt was trying to run the ball a lot. 25 carries, uh, but only 24 yards rushing. So really not that successful. What was really interesting was that quarterback, Pickett. Now, he was driving me crazy because we remembered last season he was 5 for 10. He really wasn't all that impressive. Uh, he comes out this game, and he starts out the game not – Super, super great. But then Narduzzi starts to let Pickett throw the ball more. And I thought, are we watching like Dan Marino reincarnated? He finishes 35 for 51 with 372 yards and a QBR of 67.6 compared to Sean Clifford's 48.8 QBR. Uh, Really looked like he was playing pretty well. Tazier Mack, uh, 12 receptions for 125 yards. A.J. Davis, 7 receptions, 94 yards. I will give Penn State's defense a huge kudo kudos for uh, stopping French and that's F-F-R-E-N-C-H uh, they talked about him being a dynamic playmaker not really that dynamic eight receptions 43 yards so 5.4 yard average um, and his long was only a 16 yarder so I'm glad we stopped him but the others were um, the others were troublesome Parsons was leading the team with tackles he had nine tackles two for a loss one pass breakup one QB hurry and then there were three sacks, and and Caleb, you said it earlier, and I'm thinking you're probably right. Cam Brown, Jan Johnson, Shaka Tony, they all get sacks, but they're not until the second half. I'm disappointed there were no turnovers there. Um, but, you know, overall, the, the defense, considering they were on the field pretty much the entire game, I thought they played good ball. Yeah, 
you could definitely see Pitt, Pitt adjusted after those first couple of drives. Mm-hmm. They tried to go run, run, pass. And first two runs, every drive, it seemed like for, for zero yards or negative yards, maybe at most one yard gain. So it was always third and long, third and long for Pitt's. And which is great for us, the defense run run defense was playing especially well. But that's what I we like to see. I think Ricky Ronnie do. If something's not working, adjust. And that's what Pitt definitely did. They let Pickett loose. You know, nearly seventy percent completion percentage, nearly four hundred yards passing. We did a good job, you said, of covering French. But the other two guys got loose. He found his two targets. Two guys over ninety yards receiving. Thankfully, uh, Micah Parsons had a great day. They mentioned it on the broadcast. Brent Pry kind of uh, responded by letting Parsons blitz a little bit more, even though he didn't get any sacks. A couple tackles for a loss. Quarterback hurry, like you said. So um, maybe, maybe probably Parsons' best game of the season so far. Yeah, and it's, it's a continued sign of good things to come from him, I think. Uh, one thing I'm hoping the defense works on is getting off the field after three downs. You know, they, were, they were great on third down, five for 16. So, you know, only about a quarter of the time. But it's that fourth down. They Pitt went for it three times. They made it every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I think, you know, whenever we played Idaho and it was very clear that we dominated the line, we just kind of push our way up. That was like, okay, this is great. But now that we're starting to play the, the bigger teams, it's time to start thinking about what kind of schemes do we need to draw up so that on fourth down they aren't, you know, they aren't getting those two yards that they need every single time. Yeah, as we uh, move on to the special teams, Jordan Stout, our favorite player here on the on the podcast, mm-hmm. 57-yard field goal, new program record. I think the only one was 55 yards, they said, some, something yeah. around that. Uh, solid day for Gillikin, 42-yard average on seven punts. Um, we had that questionable uh, kick-catch interference call on one of the final pit punt returns where the Penn State defender got their – I think I think he got there a split second after the ball had arrived. I don't know why the pit returner didn't call for a fair catch. He was mm-hmm. surrounded pretty good there. The flag also came up pretty late, so I think that kind of also threw into more question of whether or not it should have been a penalty or not. Yeah, so let me and, ask you this, Caleb. Yeah. Um, it was my understanding that if you are the kick returner, once you touch the ball, it's you know it's kind of like all right. Uh, whenever I watched the the replay of that punt return where he got wrecked. I saw the ball hit his hands, and I even—I'm pretty sure I saw his arms wrap around the football. So I'm like, if you can do that, I feel like you have the ample time. Should have called the fair catch. Uh, it was a great hit by the Penn State player, and uh, you know I understood why they called it. But watching the replay, then I was like, eh, I, I didn't love that. Yeah, I mean, obviously we get the benefit of watching it in slow mo, which the refs don't. But yeah, as I said, the call seemed to come pretty late after he's. Looked like he may have fumbled the ball, and there was a scrum for it. They're like, uh, now let's throw out the penalty flag. And when, the one view we got was kind of looking at the ref the whole time. You could see him the whole time when he was the guy who threw the penalty flag. So it's not like he was there reaching forward and couldn't grab it or anything like that. He he grabbed it pretty late, well after the tackle had occurred and the fumble had occurred as well. Um, throughout the game, too, I didn't think there were enough replay reviews. You know, Replay can definitely slow down the game. The game already started 40 minutes late, so it's already going on. It was, well, I think the game ended maybe right around 4 o'clock or so, so four hours after the scheduled start time, even though it wasn't a technically a four-hour game. Mm-hmm. But on critical plays when 
Pitts keeps catching the ball right at the out-of-bounds line, barely getting a foot in and bobbling the ball. I feel like you got to do that, especially in the fourth quarter on a potentially game-winning or game-tying drive. Agreed. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was sweating that fourth quarter at the end. And, and yeah, there were some plays, some catches where, I'm like, where it just didn't look right. And I would have liked to have seen a call. If, if Franklin was going to challenge it, I'd like to see a call down from the booth uh, to look at it. As well, you know, I'm. I am, however, as you said, you know, our, our friend of the show, Jordan Stout. Uh, I was very excited to see him get that 57-yard field goal. And uh, for those of you that that aren't familiar with our inside joke, Jordan Stout, such a nice, just such a nice kid, uh, likes a lot of our our tweets that we tag him in. I think he likes every tweet that we tag him in. So uh, he is he is our honorary friend of the show. And Gil uh, mm-hmm. continuing to, to prove yeah, I belong in that Ray God conversation. I know he's not punting for the awards, uh, but I am thankful that whenever we do have to punt, he does a great job on it. Yeah, we have to give a shout out. The pit punter played much better than last last year. Last year he had a nightmare. He had a couple really short, like under 10-yard punts. One may have even been blocked. He did much better this time. I think he had about 45 or 46-yard punt per average. A lot um, going back to, the, to inside the 20-yard lines. Yeah. So much better game for Chris Tadulu. Six punts, 45-yard average, and a long of 62. Yeah, and what a last name. Um, yep. So, you know, we, we put that game behind us. We are 3-0, and and now we head into a great time of year. We head into Big Ten football. Uh, but before we do that, we have a little bye week, so take some time, rest, relax. And our next game is going to be two weeks on Fox. Uh, it's going to be on Friday against Maryland. It's going to be at Maryland, but do not be deceived. That can still be a home game for Penn State just with how easy it is to travel to that stadium from Pennsylvania. Uh, the AP poll came out, and we are tied with Wisconsin, number 13. We're number 12 in the coaches. Well, I feel like that's pretty appropriate. Um, I think even if we would have dropped to like 15 or 16 after how we played against Pitt, I could um, I could potentially see that. It, just, it was a sloppy win. It was an ugly win, but at least it was a win. Um, so, yeah, we I'm hoping that we spend some time uh, or I'm hoping the coaches spend time over the bye week just looking ahead at that Maryland game, recognizing we want to start off the conference – uh, season strong. We want to make sure we get ahead early in it. We want to make sure we go in there and we shut down Josh Jackson and uh, and we're ready to roll. Yeah. As I mentioned before, Maryland has a bye week too, so no, uh, no rest advantage for Penn State here. Both teams have that extra week to prepare for the game. Um, yeah, as you said, close to Pennsylvania, so hopefully a lot of Penn State fans will be at the game. And now that Maryland got that um, upset against Temple, so they're unranked now. Um, maybe they're not quite as uh, amped up for this game now that it, it wouldn't be, it's not no longer a ranked matchup. Right. So more opportunities probably for Penn state fans to get down and uh, get some cheap seats to the game. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, my father-in-law who is a Maryland fan and I are going to that game and uh, he sent me a text before the temple game and said, we should order these tickets now. Cause if they beat temple and they go into a rank, it's going to be expensive. So we got them early and uh, we're excited for it. Yeah. So as we don't have a game to preview, we'll preview the Maryland game more in depth next week. We're going to talk about 10 things we're excited for for Penn State as we approach conference play. I'll start it off. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see how Sean Clifford handles tougher opponents. The opponents have gotten tougher each week. Idaho to Buffalo to Pitt. 
games have predictably gotten tighter. So hopefully we can see him improve, you know, get above that 50, 60% completion percentage rate, you know, figure out that he's got dynamic playmakers, especially in KJ Hamler. He's got that safety blanket in Pat Fryermuth. You know, just target those guys a little bit more. Uh, I'm not comparing our guys to the Kansas City Chiefs here, but if we saw a game where Pat Mahomes only hit Tyree Kill and uh, Travis Kelsey five times combined in a game, we think something was wrong with Patrick Mahomes. So these are our two best playmakers, pass catchers on the field. Let's try to hit them a little bit more, and hopefully that'll help him improve his game and get some better stat lines. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on that one. Um, has to hit the have to has to hit those people. And, and speaking of that, you know, we saw a fifty three yard uh, catch by KJ Hamler. But one of the things that has me excited, and KJ Hamler is just such an exciting, electrifying player. I want to see the first, and I, I cannot wait to see his first long, big touchdown. Whether that's on a jet sweep and the guy's coming across the edge, if it is him taking a a kick, you know, hundred yards to the house. Or if, him, or if it's like it was against Ohio State and it was that 90-plus yard touchdown pass. I mean, he is he is so exciting. And I don't want Clifford to miss out on how special of a weapon he has in Hamler with that speed and with that ability to catch the ball and think forward and be able to to create those big plays. Uh, so I know I'm really excited to, to see how Clifford targets him and how he's used and to see, you know, when's that next big play coming – I'm hoping it's early and often. Yeah, I definitely agree. We had that with Saquon Barkley. Obviously, he mm-hmm. would give us a that huge play. It seemed like pretty much every week, whether there's the kick return against Ohio State, you know, anything like that. Run game, pass game, return game. He'd he'd be he'd be beneficial to us. So hopefully, Hamler can uh, we can get the ball in Hamler's hands more, and he can do that for us. Speaking of the running backs. Will anyone become the top running back? Definitely seems like Slade has fallen down and we're kind of just given, you know, it's Journey Brown's drive this time, it's Noah Kane's next time, it's Devin Ford's the next time, just keep rotating. Will anyone be able to just, you know, take that ball and run with it, you know, literally and be able to take the number one running back position and uh, be able to be kind of a threat to other defenses? Yeah, do you have a, uh, a favorite? Um... I'm kind of hoping Ricky Slade gets a gets a go back going. He showed it off a little bit with that 40 yard pass reception. So obviously having a running back help in the passing game gives you can uh, make you a little more dynamic. Mm-hmm. So you get the threat both ways. He needs to work on his pass blocking maybe a little bit to be able to stay there in the passing roles, passing down roles. So I'm hoping he will be able to you know take it and not fumble as much. Also, yeah, it's definitely one that I'm conflicted about because. Um... You know, I, I found this out, you know, I, I have a, you know, we have the Twitter account for the podcast, but I have an educator one cause I'm a teacher and an educator that I interact with pretty frequently on Twitter. Uh, I mentioned I was a Penn state fan and she knows Devin Ford, like same came through her school. So he's such a nice kid. Uh, we saw him have that, that great electrifying run in week one. Uh, I like him a lot. I really like what I'm seeing out of Noah Kane. I'm not a huge fan of his social media presence. I think uh, sometimes, Gotta be a little bit careful about what your uh, digital footprint says, but you know his footprint on the football field is is pretty impressive too. Um, lights he wants us to, but yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for Ricky Slade. I want him to do well. I want him to, to play lights out. So um, good luck to him on that. And one of the ways that they're going to get there is by having you know good blocking. 
Uh, we, we saw some pretty okay blocking. I think the first, or we saw good blocking the first game and pretty okay blocking weeks two and three against Buffalo and Pitt. Um, but now we're heading into the meat and potatoes of the season. And I keep saying that because it's really important. We're going to be playing, you know, we're going to be playing the big boys. We're going to be playing Ohio state. We're going to be playing Michigan. And, you know, even if Michigan's not playing super great on offense, uh, that doesn't mean that their defense can't step up and, uh, and make some big plays for them. So I'll be curious to see how this, uh, how this offensive line handles some things. They're, they are very young. And so it might be a burst by fire moment for them, but hopefully they can give Clifford time to be set in the pocket. Hopefully they can set up those blocks to lead to electrifying runs. So I'm, I'm excited to see how they uh, deal with teams like Ohio state and, and other of those uh, big, powerful big 10 teams. Yeah. Ohio state always seems to have a top pass rusher this year. It's what chase young after uh, having uh, the Bosa brothers years, the years before that he's projected to be another first round pick, maybe as high as the top three. So Obviously, that's the first one, first team you think of for a solid defensive line. Michigan and Michigan State always have great defenses all around. You know, see defensive back linebackers as well. So yeah, they they have some much uh, tougher opponents coming up. So they definitely need to bond in. One of the keys, I think, is definitely no injuries. If uh, yes. offensive line can work together and stay together, practice together, get game reps together, that'll make them better. So hopefully no injuries come and we can the, the five starters can stay together. Maybe you throw in a tight end there to help block from time to time and that'll uh, get you get the O-line uh, even better connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my next one is who will be the second wide receiver after K.J. Hamler? We saw... Uh, Jahan Dotson, Justin Shorter each have some pretty good games the first two games of the of the season. Haven't seen much of Matt Kippenhammer since his uh, couple of fumbles in the punt return game a couple of weeks ago. So who will step up and be that number two receiver? Obviously you got Kamler as the number one. You have Fryermuth as your number one tight end. He'll probably still be the second option even if a second wide receiver does emerge. Maybe we'll we saw with uh, Ricky Slade maybe coming out of the backfield, but still having that second wide receiver to maybe get Hamler a little bit of uh, better, uh, more open in the field to play, get him be um, allow him to get that electric plays that he can do. So who will become that second starting wider wide receiver for the team? Yeah, and I think yeah between Dotson and Shorter, it's going to be one of those guys. Uh, Hip and Hamler doesn't even have a reception on the season. So, you know, that's a little concerning for him as he's kind of fallen in the depth chart. He's going to have to uh, find a way to earn his way back up. Dotson's definitely uh, definitely somebody that Clifford wants to throw too deep, and um, I think that could lead to that. But Shorter is an awesome option, too. I feel good about this, this group of wide receivers, Caleb. Um, thinking about that and thinking about our friend on the show, or our friend of the show, uh, Jordan Stout. I mean, you said it earlier, 57 yards. I mean, there, there's an NFL player who hit a 58-yard field goal, and people were going crazy. We have a college kid who hits a 57-yarder, and it was awesome. It's not even like it was like it just barely made it over the bar. It was a good kick. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, what can he do? There's three seconds left in the game. Coach takes the last timeout. Okay, other coach now takes the timeout. He's iced. He has a 53-yard field goal to make. Down by two, what's he do? Game's on the line. Uh, I I think he can be Mr. Ice in his veins and and be Mr. Clutch. Uh, That's what I'm hopeful for. Seems like a great kid, and and I really wish all the best for him. I think we both wish the best for him. Really nice guy. 
Yeah, for sure. We uh, yeah, it's good to have a reliable kicker like Jordan Stout has proven to be so far over these first three weeks. Be able to get those deep field goals as clearly Franklin only trusts Pinnegar on short field goals. I think he said he's the 49 and under guy. He takes all the extra points, but he doesn't do even any of the kickoffs. It's good to have someone reliable like that for the first time probably since Sam Ficken in his junior or senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one I have, um, who will be the third cornerback after Castro Fields? We've kind of seen this in the NFL game and in the college game too. There's no really longer any 4-3 or 3-4 defense. You almost always have at least five defensive backs in the backfield on defense now because you're you're seeing so many three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver sets sometimes. So who will become that third wide receiver? Castro Fields, John Reed, they seem to have the two starting spots down. But will it be? Donovan Johnson will it be Keaton Ellis will it be Lamont Wade who will be that third guy that kind of comes out there and uh, can cover you know the slot guy if necessary if a team comes out three four wide who can cover those those wide receivers to make sure the the third and fourth wide receivers aren't beating us if Reed and Castro Fields are having a good day. Yeah, I I mean thinking about it now, I, I guess probably Keaton Ellis would be my. Guess, yeah, between him and Johnson, I think, is where it comes down to. But it'll be exciting to see who gets to take on that role as well and, and see how they develop over their time at Penn State. Uh, sticking to things on the defensive side of the ball, that number eight on our list of 10 things we're excited about, Micah Parsons. Love this guy. Uh, I'm excited to see what resume he puts together this season. Uh, one, to see if he can be put on the Dick Buckets watch list or um, be somewhere in the top 10 rankings at the end of the season, but, but more so thinking – How's he going to put together this season so that his junior year he can be on that list? Uh, He screams linebacker you. He screams somebody that should uh, win that game. Best luck to him whenever he uh, goes for that award. Yeah, they were showing plenty of clips of LeVar Arrington there in that last game. And, you know, it just takes you back to the good days of Penn State and all the linebacker, great linebacker history that they've had. So Parsons is definitely next in line, and maybe he'll be able to get some recognition for that in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final one I have here is can the team finish, especially against Ohio State? We've had lead against, leads against Ohio State the last two years, so Franklin clearly knows how to game plan against them, at least to start the game. Maybe it'll be a little different now with the new coach, but can he finish the game? You know, he called the terrible fourth and five call last year, a running play didn't work out. We've had, you know, after Dwayne Haskins came down and drove the field and gave Ohio State the go-ahead and eventually game-winning touchdown. So can we be able to, can we finish those games, especially in the second half, fourth quarter, crunch time, to, you know, pull off the upset? Because it'll probably be an upset once the game occurs. Will Penn State will be the underdog. Yeah, and, and I hope so. And, and that comes to the 10th thing on our list we're excited about, Franklin's next signature win. Uh, you know, you can – you can argue that the Fiesta Bowl was was a big win, and it, it was a big win. It was huge. You know, it was. I was happy to see Trace and Saquon get that win in the bowl game. Um, but you know that that's a game where I think we went into the game expecting them to win it against a, a Washington team that I think is very frequently overrated because of how phenomenal their coach is. Uh, you could argue that Wisconsin comeback game was a signature win, and and that was probably another one similar to it. But I think you and I would universally agree that. The, the signature win. Like whenever you think of Penn State coming back and, and getting the program back together, it has to be that Ohio State game where Grant Haley blocks a kick, takes it back for a touchdown. 
that was a phenomenal game. It was a huge win, and it was one of those games where Franklin did a great job coaching the boys. Franklin's getting a lot of what I think is unfair criticism about the way some of the things are going. Uh, I think in in some places, I'm not super happy with all the play calling, but I think in some places, uh, the players just need to grow and mature. It's been a while since we've seen one of these signature wins, though, too. So, you know, maybe part of that, too, is is the the kids need to realize in these games, hey, we might be the underdog, but we can still win this thing. So I'm excited to see when that next signature win is. Uh, there's a video on my Facebook page of me jumping up and down and screaming and shouting whenever they beat Ohio State. And, and I want a game that gets me like that again. You know, it's such like a thrilling thing to see Penn State play well like that. Uh yeah, so you know, those are 10 things we're really excited about in Big Ten football. It's a great time of year. Uh, bring out the pumpkin spice and, uh, and carve your turkeys, and let's get ready for some good old ground and pound of Big Ten football. All right, Caleb, let's look at the game picks. Yeah, last week I made a little bit of a comeback. You went three and four. I won five and two. <laughs> that makes us both seven and six on the year, so over 500, doing great. Uh, as we said earlier in the show, Finally, we got some big, big-time matchups as a conference conference play is getting underway, especially in the Big Ten. First one we have, number 11, Michigan, at number 13, Wisconsin. Yeah, and, and as I'm watching this game, or thinking about this game too, Shea Patterson just hasn't impressed me. Um, I think to a degree, he may be a little bit overrated. And uh, so I think Wisconsin wins this game. I think they, they have a pretty good quarterback and really, you know, they have a dominant run game with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, somebody who I think should be in Heisman consideration um, could be one of the, if not the first running back taken off the board in the draft uh, come springtime. So yeah, I, I like Wisconsin in that game. Yeah. I'm also taking Wisconsin. Yeah. I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams as showed by their ranking. I think I would, say wisconsin's the slightly better team but given that they're at home uh J- jonathan taylor's uh he seems to be more involved in the pass game this year so he's adding another element to his game so i'll take wisconsin in this game as well the next one we have is number eight auburn at number 17 texas a&m you know we disagree on this one caleb uh, i i think that nixon can can do good with auburn i know he had like a shaky first week uh, but I think Auburn comes into this game and they they send Jimbo home with a loss. Yeah, I'm going the other way. I'm taking Texas A&M again. They're at home. I think that's a little bit of, little bit of an edge for them. Um, Auburn came out slow in their big game um, a couple weeks ago, and then Bo Nix had to come back and make him a big comeback. I think if that happens again, Texas A&M coming off that disappointing loss against Clemson two weeks ago, I think they're more ready for this game. Kellen Mond's been in big games before. I think he plays better after probably his worst performance as a college quarterback so far against Clemson two weeks ago. I think he comes back and uh, take gets a big big win for Texas A&M. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for catching that on Bo Nix. Uh, so you know this this next game we have coming up, Caleb. We have number seven Notre Dame and number three Georgia. Who you got? Uh, again, I'm taking the home team. I'm going with Georgia. Georgia beat them last year. I think Georgia's the better team. You mentioned earlier that you think two SEC teams might be able to get into the playoff. The most obvious way I think that happens is if it's the SEC West winner, which would probably be Alabama, and the SEC East winner, which would most likely be Georgia. I think they're the better team. They're playing at home, um, even though 
Um, Georgia's lost two quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Jacob Eason, both starting quarterbacks for good programs at Ohio State and Washington. Uh, there's his, uh, there's, they got a, they're proven one too. So I'm taking Georgia. Yeah, I think I think uh, Fromm takes this game and, and leads the team to a victory, and, and DeAndre Swift too. Um, I I think Ian Book's been up and down so far this season. So and and I think Notre Dame being an independent team, setting its own schedule, um, you know, good for them for scheduling tough games. But yeah, I think they lose this one. Next up, uh, Friday night special. We got number ten Utah at USC. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at this game, and you know it's it's a Friday night. We have number ten Utah versus USC. USC coming off that tough loss, and uh, I think unfortunately for Slavis and company, uh, they're about to go on a two game losing streak. I think Utah comes in and and shuts down USC and takes care of business. Yeah, I'm going with Utah as well. Utah seems to be maybe the Pac-12's last hope to still make it in the playoffs. So it's a big game for them. Obviously, the Friday night games are always a little tough, especially when you go on the road. One less day of practice to prepare for the game. But, yeah, Utah's now got two games of videotape on Slavis, and they're a good team all around. So I think Utah's got this one. Yeah. So we look at the next game, Caleb, and we have number 22, Washington, at BYU. Uh, BYU did play impressive last week but i don't think it's enough for washington and it's kind of hard for me to say because i i do feel like pretty frequently washington's a little bit overranked but easton looks good you know this is this is a washington team that looks well put together uh, i'm probably just still upset about jake locker not playing uh not looking that great but being so overhyped but yeah i like washington in this game yeah i'm going washington too just a tough, brutal schedule here for BYU. They're another independent team, right? So they they schedule their own tough games here, and another one, you know, the Tennessee one wasn't quite as tough as they probably intended when they originally scheduled it. But that's still three power programs in a row now: Tennessee, USC, Washington. So I think they might be getting a little tired here. So I'll go with Washington. Mm-hmm. Next one we got Oklahoma State at number twelve, Texas. Who you got? Oh, you know, whenever I look at this game, I want to root for Texas. I really do. I think they can play well. I think they can bounce back. And I think they do. I think they take care of business against the was it the Oklahoma State Cowboys and yeah. um and send them home with a, with a loss. I think Ellinger comes out, performs well, plays hard and uh I think they get back on track. Yeah, I'm going with Texas too. Uh, earlier today I was listening to the Ryan Rosillo podcast and they brought up the I'm a man, I'm 40 speech by Mike Gundy. That was over <laughs> 10 years ago, so now he's 50. Jeez. Kind of makes you feel how long ago that was. Feels like it was just, you know, two, three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oklahoma State's good team, but uh, Texas definitely at home. Obviously, Oklahoma State's got some meaning to you right now as Mason Rudolph is the new Steelers starting quarterback, but yeah. I think Texas has this one. Yeah, I, I and I don't really think it's all that close i think this could be uh, you know 14 21 point type of game i don't yeah i think texas really shuts them down um let's go to our last pick caleb yeah we got west virginia at kansas kansas had that uh big win for them at least against uh boston college last week but um west virginia also with the big win last week so i think they'll make it two in a row on the road in kansas west virginia for me yeah i'm just i'm not super impressed with with west virginia still uh, I think their their offense needs to needs to grow, not look so sluggish. I think the defense needs to play better. I think uh, you know Les Miles has the team 
at Kansas hyped up. You know, he may not be able to park the plane and take the boys out for a night on the town, like he said. But uh, I think there there will be a lot of celebrating after they defeat Morgantown, the boys from Morgantown, and send the Mountaineers uh, back to the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia. So yeah, those are our game picks. Uh, really excited to see how this weekend unfolds. Again, no Penn State football, but that's okay. You know, we can we can have a week without that. Whenever you have this many good games. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. Uh, you know, again, we're we're just two buddies from college who love college football, and we want to share that passion with you. We especially love Penn State football. If you're somebody that wants to connect with us, you know, please follow us on Twitter at CPFB Podcast, and be sure to listen to us on pod on podcast really through whatever platform you want. Though especially, we would love it if you would share the podcast with friends, and if you'd even drop us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, again, really means a lot to us that you listen to us and, and you hear our thoughts. Caleb, any words of wisdom before we sign off? Yeah, just uh, again, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye.